Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of June 19th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. Open them to the book of 2 Timothy. We are going to be starting there this morning. We're going to be in a couple of different spots as we continue our series this morning on what is the church. As you guys already know, it's Father's Day. And I don't know about you, but did your father ever give you a piece of advice, say something, or maybe even give you a gift that made you kind of go, huh? Your dad ever say something to you that you thought, well, that doesn't make any sense. And only maybe years later did you go, oh, that's what that means. Did your dad ever say to you, about before you, you know, at least in my case, before I was bent over the bed about to get a whooping, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And you went, not likely. Now, you didn't say that out loud, but at least I didn't. <laughs> you know, that's, there's, there's probably something your dad said at some point in time in your life that you went, I don't, you know, I don't know. And then maybe years later, you begin to go, okay, I kind of get that now. Well, let's be honest. Sometimes there are things that God gives us or that God says to us in His Word that we sure not sure makes all that much sense. But sometimes over the course of time, as we have a chance to go back and reflect and think, we go, okay, I'm beginning to understand that. I didn't appreciate it until maybe a little bit later. We know that God has given us a great many gifts. One of those gifts is, in fact, the church itself. The church is, not, the church is a gift from God. Our uh, church is a, a gift in that God has given us a, a common faith in Christ and what He has done for us on the cross and in His resurrection. He's given us each other in fellowship to share that life that we have in Christ together. Look around the room right now. We are, in fact, gifts to one another. He's given us worship. He has crafted and molded us and shaped us and given us life. He's given the church things we call spiritual gifts. He's given us fruit of the Spirit. God has given us a great many things. Sometimes we get it. Sometimes we need a little time to reflect. Sometimes we need maybe years to go, oh, I, I get it. Well, God has given some gifts to the church this morning that we may not always be thinking about. And as we get into this morning's topic, you may be thinking, really, we're talking about this this morning? But that is this. I want to talk to you this morning about the fact that the gift that God has given the church to be led and to be served. And that God has provided for the church some things that are, in fact, for the church's benefit. And He's provided people to the church for the church's benefit. We call them, at least the New Testament calls these individuals, deacons and elders. Now you may be thinking to yourself, we're going to talk about this this morning? Yes, we're going to talk about this this morning because while some may think, you mean we've got to talk about how the church is structured or what some of this stuff is done? Yes, because God has deemed it so important that He included it in His Word. And if God's included it in His Word, that means what? It means it's worth knowing. It means it's worth understanding and appreciating, even if we may not get everything that God has said the first time. So we're going to look at that this morning. But before we do that, I want us to recognize this. Before we start talking about elders and deacons, I want us to look at this. That Jesus Christ, He Himself, the ultimate gift to the church, is in fact also 
our head. In other words, he's in charge. You and I, not just as individual believers, but as a group of people coming together with a common faith, a common fellowship, a common worship, a common life, that Christ is our head. He is the one who is in charge. We belong to him. Christ calls us out. He names us by his name. He gives us new life. He draws us together. He himself, he says, builds his church. And it would make sense that Christ himself, in building and crafting a church, in building and crafting his people, would do things that would in turn make it possible for his people to live out the lives he's called them to live. It would make sense that as Christ is ascending into heaven and leaving his followers here on earth, that he would put things in place that would enable his people, strengthen his people to carry out the mission and the purpose for which he has chosen them. And so all that stuff is where we're going to be heading this morning. Ephesians 5.23 says, Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Colossians chapter 1, 17 and 18. Christ is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that he himself will come to have first place in everything. So the church this morning, London First Baptist Church, among other local churches, is a body that gets its leadership, its nourishment, its purpose from Christ himself. We are not this morning a human organization. We are not simply another nonprofit. We are not an institution in the traditional sense of the word. We are, in the scriptural sense, an, a body, a living entity who serves the risen Christ. So that means that we are not to be simply a copy of, of human organization. The church's pattern for ministry, the church's pattern for existence, the church's pattern in decision-making is not to be copied from the most successful businesses of the world or any other organization. It is something that is uniquely crafted and molded and shaped and led by Christ himself. So as we talk this morning about deacons and elders, we are going to talk about two groups that God himself has set up so that the church may be on an ongoing basis led and served. Now again, before you check out and think, well, this doesn't really matter to me. Again, if God deemed it important enough for us to know, then that means by definition, we need to also know and understand it. In fact, it may mean and does, I believe, that what is said about the church and its ministry and these two uh, groups of people is needed for you and I best to fulfill the role God's given us in this world. There are, in the New Testament, two groups of people repeatedly named that provide leadership and service to the church, and they are, in fact, deacons and elders. We see them most prominently listed right here in 2 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 1 Timothy, I should say 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy, chapter 2. Oops, wrong page. Sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 3. I'm just <laughs> typos in my, in my manuscript this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a trustworthy statement. Verse 1. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, 
the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, I want to pause right there. We're going to get to the deacons a little bit later on. I want to also take you to the book of Titus. So it's 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then Titus chapter 1. And in Titus chapter 1, Paul says this to to Titus. He says, For this reason I left you in Crete, this is verse 5, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Namely, if any man's above reproach, the husband of one wife, having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what's good and sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both to exhort and to uh, who will be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Paul is describing in these two passages the qualifications of elders. Now, let me take you to a couple of things. We're, I'm just going to do a really quick survey here. We don't have time to go into every little detail. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, in the introduction to that letter, Paul addresses that letter to the elders and the deacons at Philippi. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, you see the church in Jerusalem is deliberating and considering things by talking to the apostles and to the elders. In, Ephes in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, and throughout that passage, Paul has sent a letter out or a call out to the elders in the church in Ephesus so that he can address them before heading back to Jerusalem. Here in Titus, uh, Paul is talking to him about appointing elders. All the churches in the book of James, James is writing to all those, he's writing to the elders of the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter is addressing the elders in the church. Acts chapter 14, Paul is talking about how they appointed elders in all the church. Do you see a pattern here? It was the normal practice of Paul, it was the normal practice of the early church to appoint elders. Now, we have that term elder in the, New in, in the English language, but in the, in the original manuscripts, there are two different words in Greek that get translated the word elder. Now, these may sound familiar. I don't always talk about Greek in here, but the, these are important for us to understand. The first word is the word presbyterios or presbyterios. You may, may sound familiar. It's where the Presbyterian church gets its name. The second word is episkopos, and that may sound familiar because this is what the word the Episcopalians get their name from. These two words are used interchangeably, synonymously in the New Testament. In fact, often they're even used sometimes in the same verse, just interchangeably. They're, they're synonymous. They mean the same thing. And they are all translated with the word elder in the New Testament. So, all these patches that we, re we just read, or all these patches that I referred to, refer to either Presbyterios or it refers to Episcopos, but these are two words that mean elder. The descriptions in 2 Timothy or 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1 both use those two words interchangeably as well in talking about the qualifications or the descriptions of what an elder is to be like. 
All the churches had elders. Now, what do these words mean? What is, in fact, an elder? Well, when you and I use the word, and we call someone an elder, just even apart from church, what do we tend to mean? Well, in my case, it always means someone older than me. Is that, is that you know... <laughs> It probably it probably means that to your probably means that to you. I, I would imagine I'm I'm in my fifties, so an elder means someone older than me. I remember a time when I was in my twenties that an elder meant people like me now. When I was twenty five, fifty three, you seemed like an elder. I would imagine if you are, say for example, this morning in your seventies, an elder means someone who's in their nineties. If you're nineties and you you hear the word elder, you may well I'm not sure where you go from there, but okay. <laughs> I'm just having some fun. That's one way we think about elders. And that was not an uncommon understanding even in this day. That would be part of the idea. In fact, one thing we see in the qualifications is this. An elder is not supposed to be a young believer. They are supposed to be someone who has had time to grow, has time to accumulate experience, time to accumulate wisdom, time to work through things so that when trouble comes, they know how to handle it, so that when things happen, they won't be tempted to be conceited and proud and arrogant and all those things. A deacon, or an elder, I'm sorry, is supposed to be someone with a little bit of experience on them, if you will. That's part of this. But also this, sometimes you see the word overseer. It's the same word. An elder, an overseer, episcopus, presbyteros, whatever word you choose to use, again, they're all used synonymously, is one who provides oversight. They provide leadership. They provide direction. They are, another word we might think of is they are shepherds. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul has all the Ephesian elders together, he tells them, your role as elders is to in turn shepherd your people. Paul will use that term a couple different times. He will tell the elders, your job is to act in not only leadership, but your job is to act as a shepherd. That word shepherd is in Latin the word pastoral, where we get the word pastor from. But in the, New, in the New Testament, pastor is actually more of a verb than it is a title. The titles, the description, or the, the titles or, or words used for what you and I today often call a pastor is actually the term elder. So if you were to use the term pastor, if you were in ancient Philippi, they would have kind of like, what? They would have expected a, what we call a pastor to be called an elder or an overseer. And his job was to pastor. His job was to shepherd. His job was to care for and to lead the people of God. That was what an elder was. That's how it functioned in the early church. Peter says in chapter 5 of his letter to the elders, he says, you shepherd the flock of God. And do that, you do that by, in verse 2 of chapter 5 of Peter, 1 Peter, you, do, you pastor the church by exercising Oversight, so you shepherd by overseeing or by directing or by leading. That's what an elder was. So it's referred to someone, an elder, someone who's, got a, who's not a new believer, whose role it is, having been called out by God, to exercise oversight and administration direction to lead to pastor to care for to nurture to disciple the people of god that is the unique role of an elder now one thing i want to point out here 
all these texts I just read, if you were listening carefully, you will notice something. Titus, or here in Timothy and in Titus, Paul tells them to anoint, or, to, or not to anoint, but to appoint elders. Now, if you're into grammar, there's a difference between the word elder and the word elders. And what's the difference? One singular and one's plural. One thing you will notice if you read through the New Testament, that every time the word elder is used in context of the church, it is always plural. The New Testament model for elders in a church is that there's always a multiplicity of them. There's more than one. Let's be honest. In our uh, Western American churches, we have often, and I stand up here this morning as your, quote, pastor, we have fallen into the idea that there is a single pastor who runs everything. At least that's the way sometimes we often function. But in the danger of undermining my own authority, so to speak, the reality is the New Testament always has multiple elders. Every church, Paul tells Timothy, tells Titus, and elsewhere, you see, appoint elders in each congregation. There are always supposed to be multiplicity, a multiple amount of elders in a given church exercising this role. So the New Testament pattern is for an elder or for elders to exercise pastoral leadership, discipleship, nurturing care for a body of people over which they exercise that leadership. Now, these are not dictators. They're not, a, they're not authoritarians. They're not uh, uh, CEOs in any stretch of the imagination. They are a group of men who God's called together to work under the authority of Christ with I would, I would say it this way, we might use the term congregation, the congregation has final say, but the congregation under the leadership of the Spirit sets up men who turn and who in turn fulfill that function of elder. That I believe to be the New Testament example, the New Testament thing. And why does that matter? Because if God has a plan, if God has a purpose, if God has a, a role for the church to play in the world, and understand the early church, almost exclusively, whether it's in Jerusalem or whether it's in Rome or whether it's in Philippi or wherever it might be, the early church is almost always existing in a world that's hostile. Now, that hostility may vary. Sometimes it is showing itself to be in, in real physical persecution where people are being jailed or people are being threatened by their very lives. Other times, it's hostility simply in the idea that they're outcasts in their own culture, looked upon as fools. The, the Gentiles, by and large, whether they be Greek or Roman or anything else, looked upon the claims of Christians as this one, Jesus rising from the dead. They looked upon those claims as foolish. They looked upon Christians as foolish, silly, believing in fairy tales. And, of course, we know that most Jews thought they were blasphemers since Christians attributed to Jesus Christ Godhood. So the world around them is almost entirely hostile, sometimes blatantly so, sometimes subtly so. And in that context, God has said to the church early on, in order for you to preserve uh, your identity as followers of Christ, in order for you to fulfill your purpose of pointing this world to God, I'm going to gift you something that will help you do that. And I want part of that to be elders, godly men who lead and pastor and serve the people of God in that way, just as Christ himself did. That is the role 
of an elder. Now, both in Titus and in 1 Timothy, what we just read, there are a number of qualifications. We don't have time this morning to go through in detail all these qualifications. But in broad terms, it says this. These are to be men of deep character and integrity, with good reputations, doing well in in, in, uh, in managing, if you will, their own households. In fact, Paul even says there in 1 Timothy, if they cannot handle their own homes, why would you expect them to be able to handle a church? So he says they need to be able to do these things. They need to be able to, uh, have, they need to, to not be, you saw that word a couple times, pugnacious. In other words, not looking for a fight. I got, I'm going to tell you guys, I know guys, I know pastors who are looking for fights on a regular basis. We used to have a guy when I was in seminary, and uh, his, particular, um, his particular pet, pet topic was the book of Revelation. And he had a specific set of beliefs about how to understand the book of Revelation. And he was one of those guys that most of us just learned to avoid. We see him walking down the hallway and we would turn around to hide in the bathroom or something like that. Because this guy, he wanted to start a fight with you about his interpretation of Revelation. Well... If we're taking this qualifications in Timothy and Titus seriously, that guy is not, was not qualified to be an elder. Not lovers of money, not greed. They shouldn't have that desire for just accumulating stuff and using the people of God and using the, the things that take place for their own personal uh, benefit. In that sense. Um, you can read through those qualifications, and I think you get the idea of what a, an elder is supposed to be in his character, and that's really what that, those passages are getting to. And all those, all those uh, passages, all those verses, all those qualifications are pretty similar to deacons. But as we're looking at elders for the moment, there are a couple of noted differences between deacons and elders in the qualifications that give us a hint as to the difference between the two, the two groups. Namely this, elders are supposed to be, among all those qualifications, able to teach, which would make sense. If your role as an elder is to spiritually lead the people of God and to transmit truth, to make disciples, if you will, it would make sense that you would be able to teach effectively. It would also make sense, uh, it's the, the qualification of handling their households well, seems to be a little more deeply emphasized in the role of elder as opposed to deacon. Thirdly, um, the requirements for the elder say they cannot be a new convert. That is not emphasized the same way with a deacon who can be a younger one. And finally, the title overseer itself applied to elder means that there is an oversight function to the elder that's not there with the deacon. So what we have here in the elder is this. To sum up, someone who has some experience, someone who is not a brand new believer and subject to arrogance or fighting or uh, being greedy or the number of things that are there listed in those two passages. Someone who is called by God and recognized by the church to exercise spiritual shepherding pastoral leadership in a congregation. And there should be multiple elders, multiple ones. At least that's the pattern in the New Testament. Now, we've mentioned elders. 
And we could, if we wanted to, spend a lot more time on that particular topic. But I want us to move on also to, in fact, deacons. Now, the Titus passage does not give us any information about deacons. In fact, you may be surprised to know that in the sense of a title, the word deacon only happens twice in the New Testament. Once is here in 1 Timothy in the qualifications for it. The second one is there in Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, where it talks about addressing the letter to the deacons and the elders. Those are the only two times in the entirety of the New Testament, in the New Testament get that out, where the word deacon is used in that sense. The word deacon is a Greek word, diakonos. It literally means servant. Now, the word shows up all kinds of times throughout the course of the New Testament, but usually just describes a servant, someone who is serving. But in these two times, Philippians 1.1 and in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we have the, the title, if you will, of deacon. And the qualifications, again, are pretty similar there in 1 Timothy as they are for the elder with the, with the couple differences I just mentioned a while ago as far as being able to teach and administer and lead. So what is a deacon? Is there a job description given to deacons in the New Testament? The short answer is no. Well, that cleared it up, didn't it? So what's the point of God giving us deacons and elders without describing, especially for the deacons, what the job is supposed to be? Well, one, we have the name. The term itself means to serve. And many believe that we see essentially an early type of a deacon in Acts chapter 6. Now, if you remember what happened in Acts chapter 6, there was, a, there was an early division within the church there in Jerusalem. As they had been gathering funds together to help out, especially the widows and those who were in need, who were in the church, uh, there has been a, a division among who's getting some of the funds. It feels by one group that, other, that, other, that some group is getting a special preference. So the church appoints seven individuals who in turn take over the disbursement of funds so that the apostles don't have to worry about it. And the idea is this, that the apostles want to focus their time on shepherding the people of God. The deacons in turn, uh, or those early deacons in Acts chapter 6, if that's what they were, they take the responsibility of dealing with the physical needs of the church and preserving the unity. Now, I don't mean to say that's the only role of the deacon, but the word itself does mean servant. And there is a contrast here. In the New Testament, elders are leading, and quite frankly, deacons are not. Now, I've grown up in the Southern Baptist world. I have been on staff at a number of Southern Baptist churches. I have grown up as a Southern Baptist preacher's kid. And to be honest with you, let's, let's call this what it is, in most Southern Baptist churches I've ever seen, deacons are in fact decision-making groups. They're the ones that people go to in the church to vote or to recommend. They are decision-making bodies. They're councils, and, and uh, they often either consult with or work with the pastor to make decisions that help administrate the church. And let me suggest to you that that is not a biblical idea. The elders have that responsibility. The deacons do not. In fact, what may actually be happening in many churches is this. If the deacons are functioning as a decision-making body, what they're actually doing is acting like elders. In which case, it might be that the church has elders but not deacons. Or maybe the church has deacons and not elders, depending on the situation. But God has given in the New Testament these two groups. One is a shepherding, leading with authority type of a function. The other one is not. The other one is a, simple, is a service 
group who takes on some of the physical needs of the church, who takes on some of those administrative things, that the practical stuff you might think of it in, in a better term, the disbursement of funds, for example, in Acts chapter 6, so that the elders can in turn focus upon discipling and teaching and the spiritual care of the congregation. That is the way this is set up in the New Testament. So now, what do we make out of all this? First of all, this, that Jesus himself provided both these things, for even for his own people, his own disciples. He led them spiritually. He also provided for their needs. Jesus, as an elder, if you will, provided leadership and authority and accountability and teaching and instruction to his disciples. He also provided for their physical needs as well. This may strike you as, as, uh, as, prof- as, as, as unexpected, but I ain't that. I ain't Jesus. <laughs> In fact, no man is. Later on, he will tell his disciples he's going to give them these two things to, to do. He's going to um, allow the church to have that side of thing, the spiritual side of thing, and the physical side of thing separated so that they can both be dealt with in a more efficient manner. Practical serving, the work, ministry, serving one another is in fact needed. Imagine you are in a church in a persecuted situation. People need practical help on living from day to day, and that's where the deacons came in. But they also need spiritual accountability and strength. They need help to make sure that the doctrine they understand, that the faith they understand, that the truth of their convictions are in fact biblical and scriptural. This is the role of the elder. And when we confuse these two roles, we do so with the danger of, of confusing the things that God himself has set up for the church. So these may be two terms we're not used to. We probably are pretty familiar with the term deacon, but we may not be as familiar with the term elder because we tend to use the word pastor. But in the New Testament, the word elder or overseer is used. There's always more than one. The term deacon is used as a servant, not as a leader, but as a worker. And these are the two ways in which God has gifted the church to sustain it, to strengthen it, to move it forward, whether the world around is hostile or whether the world around is enthusiastic, in whatever circumstance the church finds itself in. So all this to be said, why do we talk about elders and deacons this morning? One, we've been talking about who the church is, and we in order to know what the church is and to do, we need to know what Scripture has said as far as providing for the ongoing strength and the ministry and the purpose of the church. We need to understand what God has said about the church in order for us to be the church that God has called us to be. And then let me suggest a second thing this morning, and that is this, that even in the provision of deacons and elders, these two groups of people in the church, that we see in it what we've talked about already in the last four or five weeks in talking about the church, and that is this, that God has loved us, He has saved us, He is preserving us, He is not leaving us alone. He, God did not call us to Himself and said, go out there and I'll see you in a few years. God calls us to Himself and says, this is why I brought you here. 
This is what I'm giving you to help you do what you're supposed to do as I go with you. And one of the gifts I'm giving you, he says, is not just the presence of Christ himself and the Holy Spirit. It's not just the fruits of the Spirit. It's not just the spiritual gifts. It is these two groups we call deacons and elders. Look for these individuals who have these qualities. And let them be, God says, my gifts to you, so that you may in turn be who I've called you to be. It's even in that, there's a picture of the gospel. The reality is, as you look across this room, each one of us is a gift to the other. Ernie, I got to bring it up this morning. Ernie gave me a gift this morning. Made me laugh. Every time I see that, I'm going to have, uh, I'm going to chuckle a little bit, and I'm going to, uh, it, it's going to be a good thing. Gifts are like that, aren't they? At least a good gift is that way. <laughs> it has a purpose, it has a use. It strengthens us. We are gifts to one another. And godly New Testament deacons and godly New Testament elders are a gift to us. They're a gift to the church.